Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. And Hamish Bidwell with us now as well. And Hamish, we got the old uh, Tenacious D tribute song as our intro there. Um, I'm just trying to, does that make you Dave Grohl in that video? And I'm, am I Jack Black, the fat guy? How does that work? Uh, look, you're really testing my memory here. Uh, you, we can both be Jack Black. How's that? Okay, let's just both both be Jack I'll Black. Be, uh, no, you've got more hair than me. I'll be the I'll be the ball guy. There's a ball guy in Tenacious D, correct? Yeah, Kyle Gass. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Yeah. All right, we'll sort of that out. Ben can be the devil. Ben can be the devil. <laughs> that's what we'll do. We'll go that way. All the Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one, mate. That's the one. Uh, Hamish, massive weekend of sport. Uh, did you enjoy the, uh, the the day off yesterday for um, happy, I don't know what you call it, Queen Memorial Day? I needed it, mate. I had to go to a family function down in Waikanae and it turned into the usual carry-on where we didn't see any family and just got legless for a couple of three days. So Monday was well, Monday was much needed. It's a long drive home from the Kapiti Coast to, to Hawke's Bay, but that's all right. It's good to see New Zealand was celebrating by not opening any uh, licensed premises, stores, uh, cafes, bakeries. Yeah, if you were hungry on the way home, you were battling because pretty much everything was shut. Yeah, it was a weird one, wasn't it? I was. Uh, I actually watched John Oliver, um, the talk show host, uh, English guy lives in the states. You know the one, uh, talking about it, yeah. and, and you know, uh, I, I also talked to. Uh, there's an Australian guy that we talked to a bit. Uh, lives over in, <laughs> Le- in Leeds, and he said, you know, it was like uh, everything was shut the day of the funeral. You couldn't do anything. It was a day off, but. Literally, there was nothing to do. Like, even the pubs were shut, which never happens in England. They weren't open until, like, 6 that at night. Uh, he said, so, you know, he resorted to having to go for a walk because even all the TV channels, they all had funeral coverage. Everybody had funeral coverage. It was just, it was like a, a forced mourning. It felt, felt a bit weird. Wow. Shades of lockdown were the only thing on TV for the Prime Minister coming up to say a few words. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. It says that one was in a box and one wasn't. I suppose it's the only difference. Indeed. Indeed. Yes. Indeed, mate. Well, let's talk some sport then because there's plenty of sport over the weekend. Uh, All Blacks beat the Wallabies 40-14. to 14. Um, I don't know about you, mate. I'm soon, soon to find out, but... I, a lot of people celebrating that, that, that like, like uh, all is well with the world because the All Blacks beat the Wallabies 40-14, to 14, but I think um, there's a few things we can go into on this, but I, I, I just I felt if you were the All Blacks, you'd be, I mean, worried's not the right word, but you'd be like, you know, first half, they had two 10-minute, 20 minutes all up in the first half where they were playing 14 men, and both times they gave away silly penalties early, let the Aussies out of their 22 and then let them dominate possession while they were down to 14. And so it kind of wrote itself off in terms of it being an advantage at all. Yeah, I watched it in the Waikanae Rugby Club among a crowd of keen rugby enthusiasts, good analysts and, and strong All Black fans. And then we were underwhelmed. Um, 
the referee played such a strong part in the early proceedings that if any chance that the Wallabies could make it a contest was basically eliminated. And then the All Blacks were okay. And an occasion we'd look forward to, a match that people were interested in, a scenario we want to see 15 on 15 didn't eventually. And so, as I say, it was anticlimactic. I just, just I didn't feel like anyone fired a shot. The Wallabies were so inept, the All Blacks were okay. But that was about it, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was another one of those occasions where I lament the role that a referee can play and the influence they can they can have over a match. Because I just I wanted to see the two teams have a go. I thought Australia had fired their shot in Melbourne. I didn't expect much from them, but I didn't, in this instance, believe they got much of an opportunity to show that they were competitive because of the guys in the bin and, and the penalties and what have you. Yeah, I mean, the first one, the Jed Holloway one, I understand why that's a binning, but at the end of the day... He kind of landed more on his back than he did on his head, and he got straight up. So, I, you know, I'd be like two minutes in, I'd be like, mate, just watch what you're doing. We'll call it a penalty from here. Consider that a warning. Off you go. Um, but, you know, two minutes in to reduce somebody to four, uh, team to 14, that, that, that seemed pretty uh, pretty on the nose. Yeah, well, obviously the red card's the nuclear option. What's yellow? Do we call that the weapons of mass destruction option? Like, it's something, yeah. Like, you, you are changing the landscape of the match pretty significantly at that point, aren't you? And mm. so... Yeah, repeat infringements, terribly violent acts of thuggery, sure. But I didn't think it was that. And it just, yeah, I don't want to get too wrapped up in the referees. I think for me, it's good that the All Blacks won, but I'm still not convinced by them because of how poor the Wallabies were, really. Um, yeah, there's, there's still a bit of ground to be made up by the All Blacks. I'd be interested to see how they go in Europe. Um, I think it was good that Geordie Barrett finally got a game at 12. Um, I think he showed some promising signs there. I'd still like to see Jordan at fullback rather than, than Bowden Barrett, but I think, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a nucleus of a team starting to emerge, but I wrote something last week. I um, I follow a lot of sports because um, I think you can get a lot of knowledge from them. So one of the things I follow is AFL, and they have some terrific podcasts. They get good guests on, and they ask some good questions. And one of the guys I was listening to last week was a guy, Paul Roos, who built the Sydney Swans into what they are today, albeit they got dusted, no, dusted in the AFL Grand Final on Saturday. And before that, or oh, post that, I should say, he he took the Melbourne Demons from, from the absolute laughing stock of the competition, said, I'll do you three years, I'll build all the structures you need to be a, a successful club. And last year, they won what they call the flag, the, the premiership. So he knows what it takes to build a team. And he, he breaks teams into, or clubs into two sorts. He has a behavioural club, and a talent club. Now, the All Blacks, to me, are a talent club. They don't have anything to fall back on, those sort of um, structures, protocols, culture, leadership, accountability. They just, certainly in a playing sense, you get all your best players, you chuck them all on the field, and you hope there's a spot for them. And so, on a week-to-week basis, perhaps half the team's playing in their specialist position, but half aren't, and there will be days where that talent wins out, and that talent is too much for the position, but uh, in times of strife or against good opposition or when you're under the pump, when you have nothing to fall back on but talent, you, your performances will wane. And so that is where I think the All Blacks are. And when their talent is able to shine, it shines. But we need to see them against better opposition, don't we? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I I thought that the, you know, um, the two yellow cards in that first half where they really did not take advantage of, of the superior numbers at all, um, in that those twenty minutes in the first half, you know, against this Wallabies team is one thing, but you do that against France or England or Ireland or South Africa, you know, you're really giving away an opportunity to win a match. 
Yeah, and that's where the team's fallen down. You know, we saw them play Ireland, they were second rate. We saw them play South Africa twice, first time, badly second rate. So, I don't know. People seem to be grading them at this point. There seems to be a belief that we've had a part of the season and that we should sort of see where they stand. Or where do you think they stand? I mean, to me, I'd give them a C. Mm. C-plus maybe. But I think they've been... You can only play who you're playing. But, you know, five wins, four losses. You know, to lose to three different nations in a season... Um, badly too at times like I, I'm not super impressed with them then, and then what do we do with Foster do we say that he's righted the ship he's heated lessons he's leading this team superbly or do we say the addition of Ryan and Schmidt has helped and the fact that they were forced into making personnel changes they seem to have helped don't they I mean they weren't in their heart of hearts looking to pick Lomax into group and company um, you know everyone being fit I doubt we'd have seen Geordie Barrett at 12 despite the fact that it's a position he thinks he wants to play so some of the things have happened by happy coincidence for the All Blacks, but yeah, I, I'm not I'm not blown away by them. What about you? No, no you're right. I, I I think it's a, a pass mark, but just only just. Um, right. And you know that said, so you you touched on something there. You know the the Groot, the Tyrell Lomax, the Geordie at twelve. Those are all things that Ian Foster did not want to do because he did not think they were the right moves or didn't rate the players or whatever it happened to be, didn't think it was the right place for them. He's been proven wrong on all three counts. So what does that say about the guy that's leading the leading the ship? You know, I think that says more about we're better because Ryan and Schmidt are in there than anything that um, Foster has, in inverted commas, turned around. Yeah, and I, I, I did a bit of an exercise today. I wrote something for Rugby Pass because... There's some calls in Australia for Dave Renner to be sacked as Wallabies coach, and he he's not the first good coach to be made to look bad by the Wallabies. They've, they haven't been a good team for 20 years, and men such as, you know, Checker, Deans, Eddie Jones, who are fine coaches with good records, have been made to look pretty bad because they're benchmarks for the All Blacks and they can't match up to them, and, and Rennie's in that boat. But I would argue with anyone that the All Blacks under Rennie would be streets ahead of where they are at the moment, and we wouldn't have been having the endless navel-gazing and, and questions about, well, do we have the talent anymore? Has the game passed us by? Is Super Rugby too weak? I think if we had a had Rennie as coach, and we'll never know, obviously, this is hypothetical, I think we'd be in far better shape because he's far better than, than Foster. And if they want to sack Rennie in Australia, well, they can have Foster and we'll have Rennie, and I think we'll be downside better for it. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. Actually, it was interesting on Monday... Um, we've our studio here, Hamish, is on the same floor in the same building as New Zealand Rugby, and so when you come out of the oh, car, so awkward at times. The, okay. Yeah, well, we've got windows that look right out onto the courtyard, right? And where I sit now, I look out a window that if you were coming, if you've parked in the car park, at New Zealand, right? Well, you know the, that's here in the Saatchi building. You have to walk past the studio, and uh, Mark Stafford was on here on Monday. And who walked past the studio and straight down the hallway into New Zealand rugby offices but one Scott Robertson, which got us all thinking, what's going on there? <laughs> oh, only a month too late, Razor. Where were you? That day when they were going to announce Where were you? Not in the building. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, the speculation was that they, you know, they've let Foster sort of right the ship, if you like, and now he's going to step aside because he needs more time with the family, in inverted commas, uh, and that they're going to announce Razor, or maybe it's just to give him a new contract and uh, we'll pay you extra amount just not to go and coach another country for a little while, please. Right. Well, I I do remember many years ago, because I was behind him at school talking to Mark Allison, he 
he accepted his offer at the Warriors, but he did do the courtesy of putting on his New Zealand blazer and going to EZRHQ and telling them he was off. Um, mm. Thanks a lot, guys. It's been fun. So, I don't know. Perhaps Razor was telling him he's, he's got greener pastures to go to. Well, that's another that's another possibility, and one I don't think that was uh, was talked about. But yeah, it's 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 something to think about. Anyway, mate, we should uh, should definitely put that on the one to watch. I think uh, for sure. Um, let's talk. That was intriguing. I'm surprised I haven't seen any headlines. Have you guys been promoting that on the station or what? Yeah, yeah, that was there was talk. It was talked about yesterday, and there's been a little bit bit of it on uh, floating around on Twitter. So. Yeah, right. yeah. So a bit of bit of digging to be done. Bit of digging to be done to see I'm what's going have to on. Black those windows out, bro. That's no, that's no good. They can't have them spying on you. Are you spying <laughs> on them? I should <laughs> Yeah, like all the all the uh, all the high level 007 stuff that goes on around here. We're sitting on our chuff talking rubbish, and they walk past our window. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You've got an actual news, breaking news story of some import fall in your lap, and you missed it. And you're waffling on about EPL or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, mate. Exactly. Um, of course, the All Blacks wasn't the only thing that was on. Uh, Joe Parker fought Joe Joyce. What was a, was a reasonably entertaining fight, but man, how big is that bloke? Six, seven hundred and twenty-three kegs at fighting weight. Apparently he still runs a kilometre in three in about three minutes and just a chin made of granite. What, what did you make of the fight? I don't watch boxing and I don't follow it. Um, there was a strong there was a strong bet put on for I reckon about 10 dozen at the rugby club during the All Blacks game. Some bloke was saying, well, two friends of mine were having a bet. One was saying that uh, Parker would knock the other bloke out, and, the other, and uh, my mate was saying, no, he won't. And uh, yeah, when I heard Parker had ended up on his backside, I was heartily amused. But no, I don't follow it. Um, I'm not inspired by Parker. I don't feel a pang of national pride. You know, I don't, not, just because someone's from New Zealand, I don't follow their, you know, I'm not interested in means a woman's shot put or. Some of the things we do on water and no. So boxing, I think it's a pretty shabby sport. Uh, there's performance and recreational drugs. There's cheating. There's silly bouts. There's ridiculous talk. And so no, it turns me off all, all the way around. Okay, so you, did, you didn't watch it. You didn't. But where do you think this leaves Joe Parker? I mean, having lost to, to Joe Joyce, has he effectively just become a gatekeeper? You got to go through this guy to if you if you want to crack at a title. I remember talking to David Higgins, and you'll have to excuse my ignorance, I don't know if he's still involved with Parker, but at the time he was. Mm. And he said the days of having an unblemished record are over. You know, like if you were a contender and you got to 23-0, and 32-0, and and you lost, then you probably never got another shot. And he said the fight game's changed. We expect Joseph at different times to fight perhaps as many as five times for a world title bout. He'll, he'll, he'll lose, he'll go down the rankings, he'll work his way up, and he'll fight again. And that... That's the way they structure it now. So in terms of what I was told then, I don't see a lot that's changed. But, I mean, you know, he's he seems a lovely fellow. He doesn't seem to have a killer blow in him. And if you can't knock the opponents out, and my word, there's some enormous men in that heavyweight division now. You know, and poor old David Till would be up to some of their navels if he was battling against Lennox Lewis as it was. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see Parker ever reigning supreme because he just doesn't have the power. But, um, yeah. Will he come again? I assume so. Just because there's money in it, you know. People stay in the sport. There's fights to be made. He wants to fight the guy white. Good luck to him, but I won't be watching. Yeah, no, fair, fair. Yeah, if if, if it's not your uh, it's not your cup of 
Cup of tea. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, what about the All Whites then? I mean, they've been in the uh, they've been in the press a lot. They had that uh, home and away against Australia for the first time in in ten years, and uh, you know a lot of talk about this young All Whites team or what it might be capable of. I mean, to be fair, Hamish, I don't know that I got caught up in any. Uh, excitement over it, but I just looked at the team where our guys are playing versus where their guys are playing, and I thought, you know, we're actually a good shot to to win this. It didn't end up happening. Uh, maybe some of that was down to the fact we weren't playing for anything, and they, those guys in the extended squad that Graham Arnold named were playing for a spot on the plane. I don't know, but uh, were, were you on board with the All Whites? Did you did you check out the games? Were you excited? I saw plenty of the first one. I didn't see a lot of the second. Um, and and to, to compare it with the All Blacks. We've got apples and oranges here, so the all whites will be better for this experience. Now, they they need to be overseas. They need to be playing at decent clubs because the support they get, the program put together for them by uh, New Zealand football is basically non-existent. And, and now we have talk about whether Danny Hay will be retained as coach or whether they will seek to stay on because of potential dissatisfaction with what New Zealand football are putting together as they look to qualify for the next World Cup. So. I'd love Hay to be involved. I think he's the right man for that job. I think he understands New Zealand football in a way, or New Zealand footballers, and, and the, the struggles we have and the challenges we have better than anyone else. I mean, I, it's nice for Arnie to have sitting to come in and sit with him. That's pretty handy, but we're not going to get one of those sort of blokes in. So um, the All Whites are a team that we should be supporting, a team that we should be seeing, and it's disappointing that it's taken this long to play Australia. It's disappointing that it's taken so long to just the team on the park in New Zealand full stop. So we are, it's a major participation sport in the country. We are a football nation. Um, and I think we should demand better from New Zealand football. With World Cup with it going up to 48 spots next time, we have a red-hot chance to qualify. So, you know, what are we doing? How are we making the team better? How are we improving our players? You know, we can't just rely on overseas clubs doing the work for us. We have to be proactive ourselves. Yeah, 100%. And we need to be uh, playing games. I mean, they have come out now. I think I think Chris Wood has really forced their hand. Did you see his comments after the second game? I did. And uh, uh, and again, apples and oranges. So if Bowden Barrett said it will seem white like a Matthew Foster, you want to go, God damn it, all this rubbish again. But I, I read Wood's comments and I took them on board. Like, Good on you, mate. You know, and I, I actually believed him. And I think he's right. And these kids <laughs> Of sort of almost survived and managed to, to, to excel despite the system in New Zealand like Wood. They know the dingbats that exist there. They've been coached by halfwits and imposters. They know what a dysfunctional and often useless organisation New Zealand football are. And so I genuinely took from his comments, please, take it from me, take it from us. This is a good guy and we don't want to lose him. And I, I believe them thoroughly. Yeah, so did I, and I was uh, I, I I was interested to see that New Zealand football then, uh, and Andrew Pragnell, who is the CEO of New Zealand yeah. football, who has honestly uh, been MIA, I think. <laughs> I, I, I had to look him up and think, where's he been? And I, I googled Andrew Pragnell, New Zealand football news, and the last time he was in the press was in June, um, saying anything, which seems a long time ago, considering we had this Australian series uh, and we've got a Football Ferns World Cup and everything. He just seems to have disappeared. Um, and shouldn't we have been just doing everything, beating every drum, getting every person out there to say, look, this is the end for Winston Reid. And yes, there's a Danish component, I think it is, to his development, but this is a, an all-white of some stature, one of our few ever Premier League stars. Let's bloody beat the drum for this guy. Let's make this an absolute occasion. Let's sing from the rooftops about 
how wonderful this occasion is. And did you hear from New Zealand football? Not really, did you? No, not enough. Not enough for mine. I mean, there was plenty done on the day. There was plenty done around it. But the, in terms of actually how they pushed the game, I thought it was... Uh, I mean, they got 35,000 there, and which was fantastic. Like there was, I think it was the biggest crowd ever for an all-whites game in New Zealand. But you've got to say that that was, I think, driven by fans and things because in terms of advertising and, and marketing around it, I didn't see as much as I would have expected to see. Um, but Pregnell, off the back of White's, uh, of Chris Wood's comment, has now mm. said, uh, oh, actually, no, we're not going to play in November, but the next international window is in March. We're definitely playing in March. So I think that has forced their hand, and it'll be interesting to see how that conversation with Danny Hay goes now and what they end up doing with Danny Hay. Well, you, if you're Danny Hay, you actually want the team to be playing. Like, yeah. March isn't good enough. Like. And I know it's hard with the more players we have away to get them all back. But, you know, I was glad to see the window well observed and for the players to be able to come home. And, you know, I mean, I was listening to something today. I was under the, under, under the understanding that, that Hay had actually worked hard to, to facilitate most of the games the All Blacks have played of late anyway. Mm. They've played anyway because New Zealand football don't have any clout or any, you know, we're um, all happy to go to these FIFA board meetings and be hosted at matches and that, but what do they do to actually promote the sport? And I, I don't know, do you want to have a debate again about whether we should play in Asia? Is that something that's, that's worth discussing? I think at some point it is, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that, though, that that needs to come from uh, FIFA. And, you know, what I think they really need to do is they need to look at the Asian Confederation, which is bloated, and they need to split it in half and have an East Asian and West Asian mm. confederations yeah. and then absorb Oceania into that. I think it's what they should do. Well, I don't think they will do it because it's too much. There's too much politics involved. Um, and from a New Zealand football, like sports fans in Australia don't give their soccerers enough credit for how difficult it is to qualify out of Asia. Like the travel alone, but the calibre of the opposition, it's actually tough. But it also prepares them, and it it gives players something meaningful to be involved in, doesn't it? Whereas you're like, friends. Oh, it all seems so flat, doesn't it? Every time they play, oh, they beat the Solomon Islands eight now. Well done, guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But. All the age group teams and the women's teams, every time they qualify yeah. for a World Cup, there's a win, financial windfall for New Zealand football that keeps them rolling, you know? So so what's our flagship team? Is it the girls under 17s or is it the all-whites? So what are we doing here? What are we working towards? Do we have a plan? How we? What's our shop window? Yeah, well, exactly. And that's the question. And But I think the, the thing is that the girls under 17s qualifying for a World Cup helps pay for the all-whites to go and play Japan or whoever. And that's the problem. Right, but it also might see their coach right off into the sunset because he's got six months doing nothing. I'm not sure if his employees even want him. Yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. So <laughs> it's a sit back and see, boy. You know, we thought New Zealand rugby had trouble. Um, good stuff, hey, Mitch. Go well, Can you mate. remind me, just quickly, I know you've got to go. Yeah. I was covering football at the time, and I remember, was it Michael McGlinchey that the fax, no one turned the fax machine on or the, yeah. the fax was in the machine, but no one bothered to take it off the machine? Is that, that's that's well, how I remember it, isn't it? Was it or was that Glenn Moss? Are you, th- are you talking about the suspension yes. ahead of the World Cup? Yeah, that's right. Yes, forgive me. Yeah, it was Glenn Moss. It was Glenn Moss. He was filthy. He almost retired from uh, international football over that. Yes, he did. He took me behind the dressing shed at Newtown Park and gave me chapter and verse about what a gumboot show it was and how he... Yes, so I recall that now. Yes. yes. Thank you. No, no problem at all. Anytime, sir. Anytime. Nothing, nothing's changed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, thanks for the chat, Hamish. Good as always. Yeah, Have a good evening. You too, Thank mate. You.